If you're new, this is not how we normally will do things over the next few weeks. Normally, we're going through a book of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. But we are going to begin a series on the Holy Spirit over the next six to eight weeks. Some people say, why the Holy Spirit? Why would we do a study on that? Why not just go to another book? There are several topics in the Bible where the Bible writers actually say, I don't want you to be ignorant of this truth. Or they might say, many are ignorant concerning this truth. And then they'll spend some extra time in their letter explaining those topics. For example, Paul says, you know, I want to be ignorant concerning righteousness by faith alone. And we have the the whole book of Romans. He says in 1 Corinthians 12, I don't want to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. Another place, a writer says, I don't want to be ignorant concerning, we're not ignorant to be ignorant concerning Satan's plans, his devices. Another thing says, I don't want to be ignorant concerning the rapture. Another place, God's judgment about uh, during the end times. And then we have multiple places where the Bible tells us that they don't want us to be ignorant about God's nature. And so the reason they say that is because those areas of doctrine tend to be the ones with the most variance from church to church. Like people ask all the time, you know, if the Bible's true, why do you have all these churches? I would say that almost all of us agree on like the essentials. I realize that there's heresies out there, and I'm I'm saying if it's it's a gospel preaching church, most of the stuff we're gonna sit down and be like, oh, we all believe similarities. But it's in these areas where you tend to find the variance. And sadly, this is also, these issues become the most divisive among churches. Because of this, it can be tempting to avoid teaching on these topics altogether. In fact, that's the position of a lot of churches today. So we don't touch that topic because it's divisive. But that only results in the thing the Bible writers didn't want, ignorance, right? So that's not the answer. This is one of the reasons that we, we spend a large bulk of our time just studying the Scriptures book by book, verse by verse, because if we study all the Scriptures, then we'll know everything that God has to say. But given that the Bible does warn us of possible ignorance on specific topics, it is good from time to time to spend a few weeks to address them uh, every so often. That's why we did a, a prophetic deep dive through multiple passages in Scripture about three years ago. And it's why we studied the Holy Spirit about nine years ago when I first got here. When we study the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, we end up tackling two of these topics that the writers don't want us to be ignorant of, God's eternal nature and spiritual gifts. So, I say that, of course, and I know that some get nervous when you bring up those topics. I realize that some of you have come from abusive or unbiblical church environments regarding the view of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. I realize that the reason you come here is because you're looking for a Bible-based church and a Bible-teaching church. I get that, okay? So, rest assured that our study is not going to include some new thing or different thing from what you've heard me teach over the years. What you're going to hear me talk about is going to be consistent with what we've been talking about every time we go through the Bible, all right? We're not doing a study on the Holy Spirit because I went off to some retreat and I had some experience and I've got some new crazy thing to share with you, okay? I'm not going to pull a weird Holy Spirit doctrine out of my hat to surprise you. My position on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit has not changed in 27 years of teaching the Bible. Calvary Chapel Orlando's view on the Holy Spirit, person and work of the Holy Spirit, has remained the same since its inception 30 plus years ago. The pastor here before me, Pastor Gibb, we agree 100% on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Everything I'm going to teach is what Pastor Chuck taught from as someone who was very influential to a lot of us in Calvary Chapel. There's no weird or strange doctrine that you're going to hear. I bring this up because if you do hear me say something that concerns you, please don't run for the hills. The last time I taught on the Holy Spirit, we had a few people who kind of freaked out. They're like, he said the word Holy Spirit, I'm out of here. And I'm exaggerating, that's not what they did. And, but the idea is there were things that they thought, well, we hadn't heard the previous pastor talk about this this way, so is he different? And the problem is, is they never even came and asked. So here's my encouragement to you. If you hear me say something that concerns you, please come talk to me. You say, hey, did you mean this when you said this? Because I'll put your fears to rest and go, no. (laughs) I believe everything I've always believed. I have not changed my thoughts. You're not going to hear a new idea in this study other than things, if you've been coming here for a while, that you would, would have heard when we taught through the rest of Scripture. Talk to me. Talk to another pastor here because we all agree on everything that you're going to hear me teach. And I would also encourage you in this. Remember all the time that you've been here so far and how blessed you've been. 
Don't throw that away just because you've had a bad experience in the past with some teaching on the Holy Spirit or some church practice. We're family, okay? And family's supposed to talk about things rather than assume the worst, right? So if you hear something you don't understand or you're concerned about, just come see me, come see another pastor, and we'll talk about it, okay? I'll set you straight. I didn't mean that. That was a joke. Everybody's like, right, right, yeah, get him, you know? All right, serious, second service is serious. With that in mind, we'll begin our study on the person work of the Holy Spirit by discussing the necessity of the Holy Spirit to our spiritual well-being. So, why do we need the Holy Spirit? Well, turn to Acts chapter 19 with me. Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 and 2, it says that it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. On Paul's first trip to Ephesus back in chapter 18, he went into the synagogue there, as was his routine. And he dialogued with those in attendance at the synagogue about the gospel. He didn't teach. He just began dialoguing with them, telling them about the Lord, telling them the Messiah had come. As they're hearing this, they ask him to stay longer. Like, we want to hear more about this Jesus. But Paul couldn't stay longer because of a prior commitment to fulfill a sacrificial vow at the temple in Jerusalem. But he did leave two of his missionary team behind. He left Aquila and Priscilla behind in Ephesus. They are still there three months later in chapter 18 when one of John the Baptist's disciples comes to Ephesus and he starts preaching in the synagogue there that the Jews need to repent because the Messiah is coming soon. He didn't know about Jesus. Well, when Aquila and Priscilla heard him preach, they pulled him aside and they said, he's come. His name's Jesus. And they started to explain the gospel to him. And Apollos believed. He was born again. And then he went from there preaching the gospel that Jesus had come and died for our sins. It's awesome. Well, by the time Paul gets back to Ephesus about a year later, Aquila and Priscilla, they've moved on. Apollos is gone. But they've left behind a small group of very young but genuine believers, maybe about 25 or so. And when Paul meets them in Ephesus, he says this, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Now, I don't know about you, but I don't just randomly ask people questions like that. For example, if someone walks up to you and says, hey, have you taken a shower lately? It's probably not just the random question. If someone asks you, hey, did you get your hair done? It's not a random question. Hey, is that a new dress? It's probably because they see something different. They see something missing. You had a whole heap of hair before, and now you don't. Did you get a haircut? You stink. Did you even take a shower lately? Questions like this are not just thrown out there. They, are, they tend to be prompted by something you observe. So the question we have to ask is, what prompts Paul to ask genuine believers if they've received the Holy Spirit? What prompts that? Is it possible that he saw something missing from their life? Is it possible he saw something missing from their life? This brings up a very important reality. It is possible to be a believer, born again, a Christian, going to heaven, and lack the Holy Spirit's work in your life, to be missing that. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Paul wrote an entire letter to a, not just a church, but a region of churches who, who had just gone away from the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 3, he says to them, O foolish Galatians, 3.1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently, clearly set forth, crucified among you? People came to you, they preached the gospel to you, they taught the scriptures to you, And now you've kind of forsaken a part of that, and you've gone a different direction. And so he asks him a question, another question. This only would I learn of you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? You see, after people had come in, preached the gospel, people got saved, they discipled them, 
False teachers came in afterwards, the Judaizers, legalists, and they were teaching them, you needed to keep the law. You needed to keep the law to stay saved. You needed to keep the law to be spiritual. And so they went away from grace. They went away from faith, and they got all bound up in their ability to do all these laws. And they would measure one another by how many of the laws they were keeping. And so he says, who has tricked you that you've, you've left where you're supposed to be? Let me ask you a question. He says, teach me this. When you got saved, was it the work of the Spirit? Was it the, uh, when you received the Holy Spirit, was it by faith or was it by the works of the law? The obvious answer is by faith. You got saved by faith. The Holy Spirit came and lived inside of you. And so he says, you know this answer. Are you so foolish? In other words, you've acted in a way that's not in accordance with that answer. You've been foolish. Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect, mature, or being made mature by the flesh? Maybe you're here this morning and you have heard of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you even think you have a really solid idea on who the Holy Spirit is and what He is like. Possibly you just think you do. But wherever you are in the spectrum, whether you're hearing about this and you're going, I don't really know a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure if I'm experiencing His work in my life. Or maybe you think you are. Whether you're that Ephesian believer or the Galatian believer here, the question that is most important is, do you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit? Is it possible that some of us here might have a similar testimony to either the Ephesian Christians or the Galatian Christians that something is missing in our lives? Now, if you're saying, okay, how do I know for sure? Well, later on in Galatians, Paul explains how. Look at Galatians 5. Now, all up to Galatians 5, Paul's explaining, he's going, guys, this is why legalism doesn't work. This is why living the Christian life in the flesh doesn't work. You can't do it this way. He hammers out the theology, and then he gets practical in chapter 5. And he says, guys, you need to stand fast in the freedom that you have in Christ. Don't go back to the law. Don't go back to legalism. He goes, you need to walk with Jesus. You need to, you need to move in a new way. You can't do this on your own. You can't do this in the flesh. And when he gets to verse 16, he brings in this element of the work of the Holy Spirit. He says in Galatians 5, 16, this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you want. But, but, while that's true, if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. He's not talking about the law of Moses there. He's talking about this law. We'll read about it later in Romans, where he talks about the law of this tug of war. When you got saved, you were gloriously born again, and the Holy Spirit took up residence in you. But you did not become some type of now different human being. You still live in this skin. You still have flesh. You are not in your new body yet. And so while the Holy Spirit came and lives inside of you, he goes, hey, I'm going to start working on you to make you more like Jesus. And he starts convicting you of things. He starts bringing change into your life. And is your flesh all like, let's go. This is great. Of course not. Your flesh is like, "Uh uh-uh, you can't have them. And so when you get saved, this tug of war starts, right? But the Christian life has been promised to us that it's not a tug of war. You don't have to live in the tug of war. So when Paul talks about this here, the tug of war in verse 17 and the freedom in verse 18, which of those two descriptions is your experience? If you want to evaluate yourself and say, is something missing? This is how you do it. Is your Christian life a situation where it's just a constant tug of war, or is it one where you're not under that rule, that law, because the Spirit is leading you? When Paul says what he says in verse 16, he's not making a suggestion. He's not giving a hypothetical possibility. He is making a declaration, a promise. If you and I will walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the desires of our flesh. Do you believe that's possible? The Bible teaches it. We do not have to live according to our fleshly desires. So, how do you tell whether you're walking in the Spirit or you're in the flesh? You know, how do you know? Is it really just my life a tug of war or have I got an area I'm struggling in? Well, he keeps talking. 
Now, verse 19, Galatians 5, the works of the flesh are manifest, evident, clear. They're not confusing. If we want to identify whether we're in the flesh, we don't need to look hard, okay? And he gives us this long list here. Adultery, and that's, of course, it's not just having an affair with someone. It's if you're a married person and you're looking upon them with lust in your heart, or the idea of desiring someone else who's not your spouse, that's adultery. Fornication, that's any type of other sexual immorality with another person. Uncleanness, that's sexual immorality that doesn't involve another person. Lasciviousness, it means licentiousness, no boundaries in regard to sexuality. Idolatry, it's anything that's ruling in your heart, the place of your heart that the Lord's supposed to have. Witchcraft here refers to, not witchcraft in the sense of like, I'll get you my pretty. Uh, it's, it's more along the line. Some of you young enough might not even know what I'm referencing when I say that. Um, <laughs> Google it. Here it refers to the idea of using pharmaceutical drugs to uh, change your state of consciousness. Hatred. Variance in the old King James, that word variance, it means contentions. You're, you're constantly contending with other people. You know, God didn't design us to be constantly contending with one another. Emulations, verse 20, that refers to jealousies. Wrath. Strife there refers to not just that you have strife with people because you say, What's, how is that different from contentions? This refers to selfish ambitions. The idea that this that reaching for my goals is more important than, than other things. It creates strife in your marriage, your family, your co-workers, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Seditions just means dissension. There's these if you're constantly dissenting from things, if that's not, not God didn't design us to be all like all at each other's throats because we're different. Heresies refers to like a, a group clique kind of culture. The culture wars, the group wars, identity wars, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings. It's not that having a party is bad, but the idea of that there's just parting for the selfish concept of just I want, I want to have a good time. no matter what, it, what the boundaries might be. And then Paul says, and such like. There's other things that are like this, that, that the flesh, it's clear, it's evident. And he says, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. It's what unbelievers do. So if you're a believer and you, your life is characterized by some of these things and you're walking in the flesh, in contrast, verse 22, but opposite of this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, which could also be kindness, goodness, faith should probably be faithfulness, meekness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Like there's no tug of war if you're going to walk in the Spirit. He produces this fruit, which list better describes your life, verses 19 through 21 or verses 22 through 23. Now, the counter that I can sometimes hear from people or that we could be tempted to give is that, well, these verses don't paint the whole picture. Well, I know I'm walking in the Spirit. Look at my giftings. Look at my work of service to God. But if you'll note, in verses 22 and 23, there are zero spiritual activities there. Like it doesn't say there, but the fruit of the Spirit is good preaching. The fruit of the Spirit is you've led people to Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is you're good at apologetics. The fruit of the Spirit is you can quote Scripture. It doesn't say any of those things because that's not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Those are giftings, which are a whole different thing we'll get into later, not today. The fruit of the Holy Spirit has to do with our character. And we see this also taught in 1 Corinthians. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. The Corinthians boasted that they were full of the Spirit of God. Man, they had, 
They, were, they, didn't have, they weren't missing any spiritual gifts in their church. But Paul says, yeah, but you're not spiritual. You're carnal. What? How is that possible? Look at all the giftings we have. Look at all the anointing that's here. Yeah, you're carnal. You're absolutely carnal, he says. How can he say that? Well, 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 1, he says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love. I become a sounding brass or a, a tinkling cymbal. Tinkling is really not a good translation. It means like a clanging cymbal. I love someone playing the drums really well, but like every once in a while, a kid will get up there and then start banging on the hi-hats. There's nothing, nothing pleasing to the ear about that. Even if you look at them like, oh, how cute, he's banging on the cymbals. After about three minutes of that, you're like, someone get that kid off the cymbals. <laughs> I don't want to hear that noise anymore, right? Someone is maybe a, like, especially a child for the first time picking up an instrument and they start to play it and you're like, oh, that's cute. They're trying to play the instrument. My kids are all very musical and, and when they were young, we would get them an instrument. I remember the first time, you know, gave one of my children the guitar. They don't know any chords, nothing. And they just, they got a little pick and they're just ding, 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 ding. It's the same tone in their song, the whole song. And they keep singing that same song for hours. At a certain point, it stops being cute. And you're like, I need that noise to stop. <laughs> it's not pleasing to the ear. And that's the problem. If you speak with tongues, you can be an amazing gifted orator, anointed speaker, teacher, Bible teacher, sharing the gospel, apologist, whatever. But you don't have love. All you are is just a, you're just a noisemaker. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, you've dug in the Word like you understand the deep things of the Scriptures. You have all faith, man. You trust God that you'd remove mountains, but you don't have love, then you are nothing, Paul says. I've had this situation frequently when in marriage counseling, you've got problems in the marriage and, and one of them is coming to me going, man, you know, I don't understand what their problem is. I'm in the word every day and I know the word and I'm this and I'm that. I'm sharing my faith and we're helping these missionaries out, whatever. I don't understand why she can't just get on board. And I'm like, because you're a jerk. You're carnal. What do you mean I'm carnal? I'm, I know the word better than most people. You're carnal. You're nothing. You aren't anybody. Because all of that means nothing if you don't even have the first fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love. You get the fly-by-night Christians who come through and I've got this great testimony. I've got this great gifting. I've got this great anointing. And I think, well, see how many weeks you last. Because I'm not looking for, for, like our leadership team, we're not looking for anointings. I'm looking for character, the Holy Spirit. I'm looking for fruit because that's what's going to impact and change lives. Some of the most gifted people in the world are some of the most messed up people in the world because they don't have character have an incredible singing voice or an ability to do incredible things. Or maybe like, in, like sometimes you see these individuals, they have the incredible ability to move people, to lead people. Those are the most dangerous because if it doesn't have character behind it, a ton of people are going the wrong direction. Acts of service and devotion to God, they aren't in the bowl of fruit that's evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Love is in the bowl. Joy is in the bowl. Peace is in the bowl. Kindness is in the bowl. But none of this stuff is. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, I mean, that's the extreme, right? I'm going to be martyred for the faith. But if you don't have love, he says, it doesn't do you any good. Love is what's in the bowl. And all the other fruit follow alongside of it. I've heard people say, well, no, the fruit of the Spirit's love, and then joy and peace are all just like explanations of how love works. No. If you were to come to my home, doesn't have a bowl of fruit in it, but when I was growing up, a lot of families would have a bowl of fruit. It was just kind of how it was. So if someone came over, because we did that back then, we don't tend to do that now. Someone came over, there'd be some, hey, do you want, do you want something from the bowl of fruit? 
No one ever said, hey, do you want something from the bowl of fruits? Because it's a bowl filled with lots of different fruit. In the same way, the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is all those things. Love is just the foremost. You know, we go down and we say, well, what, what does the fruit of the Holy Spirit look like? Well, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, love suffers long. It's patient. Love is kind. It does not, it says, does not envy. Love does not vaunt itself. In other words, it doesn't brag on itself. It's, it's not puffed up. It's not arrogant. It does not behave itself rudely. Love isn't rude. Love does not seek her own, is not easily provoked, thinks no evil or keeps no record of wrong, rejoices not in iniquity but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So, if verses 4 through 8 aren't a better description of your life, if Galatians 5, 22 and 23 are not a better description of your life than Galatians 5, 19 through 21, then you need a stronger relationship with the Holy Spirit. You're missing His work in your life, no matter how much you might be doing for God, and even how, how successful you might be in doing it. Jesus taught us the necessity of the Holy Spirit. Look at John 16. It's a subtle thing sometimes. I like it. Pastor Joe Fosch from Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia taught a message once about this. And he talked about how as Christians we can get into a good rut, right? We get a good rut. If, you have, if, you are, if you're a believer and, you, and your kids grew up in your home and they've never known anything but the truth, it's easy for them to get into a good rut, Right? They're great kids. Like, all oh, my kids are good kids. They don't do anything horrible. They still need to be saved. They need to be saved. They need to be radically born again. And they need to have their own relationship with Jesus. Otherwise, all the things that they know to do is right aren't going to matter. So they need their own walk with the Lord. You need your own walk with the Lord. We can get into a good rut. So the difference between what it means to walk in the Spirit and in the flesh can be subtle sometimes. Jesus in John 16, verses 7 through 15, explained. He's telling them, I, I, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to be dying. And he says, he's told them already, I'm gonna, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm going to send the Comforter. He'll be with you. I'm not going to leave you orphans. John 16, 7, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient, necessary for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. It's necessary. And when he has come, what will he do? Why is he necessary? Well, first off, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin because they don't believe on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. That's the first reason he needs to come. The second reason he needs to come, verse 12, is I have yet many things to say unto you, but you can't bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he won't speak about himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that he shall speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and then show it unto you. Or show means to declare or explain it unto you. All things the Father have are mine. That's why I said he shall take of mine and show it unto you. So two perspectives here of why Jesus said we need the Holy Spirit. Number one, he says the unbeliever is not going to get saved without the Holy Spirit. It's interesting when he says, and when he has come, he will reprove the world. That's how we know he's not talking about us. If you look back in John 15, verses 18 and 19, he made a differentiation between the world in his mind and the disciples. He said in John 15, 18, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So there's a clear difference, right? The world is the unbeliever, and then there's the disciples. So what is the Holy Spirit's ministry to the world? We'll get into this in more detail when we, we cover His work later on. But just to be brief here, He's to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. The lost are not going to be saved without the work of God's Spirit. 
It doesn't matter how foolproof your arguments are or how eloquent you are, how good a friend you are, if the Holy Spirit doesn't open their eyes to the truth. Doesn't matter. You and I do not have the ability by our reasoning and logic and even our kindness to move a soul from darkness to light. Every interaction that you and I have with someone who's not a believer, we need to be praying for it to be a supernatural interaction. This is why you can have someone who maybe is a younger believer or doesn't know the Word as well as you or doesn't have the experience you do, and they might have a breakthrough with someone. You go, I've been working on them for years. There'll be times I'll be teaching for years and and just won't be able to get through to a person. And then we'll bring a guest speaker in. And then they'll talk about something I've taught many times. And all of a sudden, the light bulb goes off. And then that person will come to me going, you know, Pastor, well, I, I just never heard anything like that before. And I just want to go, yes, you have. <laughs> but the point is, it's, it's not the delivery person. It's the Lord. Something supernatural happened in that moment. That, that individual, the Spirit of God, anointed them in a way that were able to use to crack through all the hardness that was there that I couldn't. Or you couldn't. We need the work of the Holy Spirit. Only He can take a spiritually dead person and make them alive again. And I would say that makes His involvement a big necessity to fulfill the Great Commission, wouldn't you? We need the Holy Spirit. If we want to reach people around us, we can't just be like, well, you know, I know a lot about, about gender. I know a lot about creation. Or I know a lot about this. I'm not saying that's bad. That's why I say it can be subtle sometimes. But if you're going to march in and go, I know how to convince this person they're wrong. You're not 1 Corinthians 13. Or at least not the part that we're supposed to be. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to save the lost. Secondly, we need the Holy Spirit The believer needs him to be guided into all truth. Jesus says, I have lots of things to say unto you, but you can't hear them now. You can't bear them now. Jesus says, if I told you now, you'd be like, and you wouldn't get it. You wouldn't get it. But when he comes, the spirit of truth, he's going to guide you into all truth because he's not going to talk about himself. Sometimes the Holy Spirit gets lost in the mix. There's another reason why we we need to study him you know, he can be the, like the missing person of the Trinity at times. We can be like, yeah, I believe in the Lord. I believe in the Trinity, but we don't ever talk about the Holy Spirit. Now, part of that's the way he wants it to be, some of it, because when he's at work, people are talking about Jesus. If I hear people talking about the Holy Spirit all the time, I go, well, that's not the Holy Spirit, because that's not what he does. If you're like, Holy Spirit this, Holy Spirit this, Holy Spirit this, I'm like, probably not the Holy Spirit, because when He's at work, people are glorifying Jesus. But that doesn't mean we ignore him. It doesn't mean we don't have any relationship with him. Just because his delight and his job is to point the way to Jesus doesn't mean we don't interact with him, though. He won't speak about himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that's what he'll speak. And he'll show you things to come and he'll glorify me. Listen, no, again, it can be very subtle. Because I'm not saying that Bible training's bad or Bible knowledge is bad or experience as a Christian's bad. That's not my point. But no amount of training and Bible knowledge and experience can enable you and me to find the truth, live the truth, and glorify God. If that's all you have, that will not cut it. The influence of the Holy Spirit, His person and His power is the only path to knowing and living out what God wants you to do. In Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, we have that famous verse, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. But it's not like the prophet Zechariah just said, hey, I need to say this. There's a story behind it. The beginning of that verse says, the angel tells Zechariah, go declare to Zerubbabel those words. Who's Zerubbabel? Zerubbabel is David's descendant. He's the one who would have been king if Israel still had a kingdom. When Judah came back from Babylon, Zerubbabel was their leader. But he couldn't be a king because Israel wasn't allowed to have a king. But he was their leader still. 
Nehemiah had preceded him, rebuilt the wall, kind of got the city going again, but the temple hadn't been rebuilt and it really wasn't functioning as, as a nation again. So this rubble comes back and he's trying to lead the nation, but he sees the, the rubble of the destroyed temple and he's so discouraged. And he's like, how am I going to do this? How do you rebuild a nation? And so the Lord sends this prophet Zechariah to go talk to him. The angel gives him a message. He says, you tell this rubble. It's not going to be by his might or his power. It's not going to be with an army. It's not going to be with his ingenuity or his leadership. It's going to be done by the Spirit of the Lord. You know, I look around at all the things that God's allowed me to be a part of, and I, I, I'm always baffled. I baffled you all come back every week. Why? It's because you're sensing there's something here, something of value to you that you would take a Sunday morning and come. That's the Spirit of the Lord. That's not me or anyone else. That's the Spirit of the Lord. And the reason that Calvary Chapel Orlando is flourishing, and if it will continue to flourish, it will be because of the Spirit of the Lord. Some of us are aware of this oh so keenly like Zerubbabel was. You know, you look at the rubble of your marriage or the rubble of your family or the rubble of your finances or your spiritual life, and you go, I know I can't do this on my own. I don't even know where to start. Some of us think things are going just fine, and brutally unaware that the temple of our spiritual life is about to be leveled. But whether you're aware of your supernatural need or not, the truth remains. Jesus says you need the Holy Spirit. It's true no matter what. And the reason that Paul has so much to say on the topic is because it was his experience. He had to learn this. Look at Romans 7 with me, and I'll do my best in the next 10 minutes to cover this. <laughs> Paul has been talking all through the book of the Romans how we can't be justified, we can't be right with God by keeping the law. It's impossible. Here's how you're saved. You're justified by faith alone. And he's going through all the doctrine of righteousness by faith alone. It's a glorious book, wonderful. But then he gets to chapter 7, he realizes that some people might think he's bad-mouthing the law, as if there's anything wrong with the law. And he explains, no, there's nothing wrong with the law. The problem's not the law, the problem's me. God's standard's perfectly fine. The problem's me. I can't keep it. And so in Romans 7, 14, he says, for we know that the law is spiritual. Problem is, I'm not. I'm carnal. I'm sold under sin. I'm in bondage to sin. And he explains how he knows this is true. Verse 15, for that which I do, what I, what, how I act, how I live, I don't allow it. Like we should wag our finger at people sometimes. You're like, you, that's, you should not do that. Paul says, I do that to myself every day. Like if I looked at my behavior, I'd go, what are you doing, Paul? And some of you probably do that sometimes. Like, what are you doing? Why did you say that? If you're a husband, you do that probably multiple times a day. You know, the words come out and you're like, why did I just say that? <laughs> right? Even as the words are coming out, right? <laughs> the words are leaving your mouth. They're like, I'm the most unintelligent person alive. You know? <laughs> Paul looked at his life and he's like, I, if you wake up in the morning and say, Paul, I didn't want to live the day. You want to live it like this? No way. He goes, well, that's what I do. That which I want to do, I don't do it. I set up and I go, this is what I'm going to do today, and then I don't do it. But what I hate, that's what I do. He says, if, verse 16, if then I do that which I don't want to do, I consent unto the law that it's good. In other words, the problem's not up here, okay? The problem isn't I don't, I don't want what God wants or I don't want to do what God wants. It's not a desire problem there's another issue going on here. There's something else is the problem. So verse 17, now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. Now, Paul's not saying it's my body's fault, it's not me. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is that there's a disconnect. I set out with a goal in mind, I want to do this. The problem is my body's not cooperating. Why is that the case? Verse 18, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will, in other words, the desire is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I don't find it. In other words, it's like sitting down and going, we need to save money. All right, let's look at the budget. There's no money, right? 
We need to save more money. All right, let's look down the budget and go, okay, what do we need to eliminate so that we can save more money? There's nothing else to eliminate. There's no more resources. Paul says, when I look and I go, okay, I got to set out today, I need to love my spouse, or I need to obey God in this area. He goes, all right, what resources do you bring to the table, body? Body goes, nothing. I've got nothing to bring to the table. In fact, I've got all sorts of negative things to bring to the table. In my flesh, there are no resources to pull from. None. None. I need resources outside of myself. So again, I, I hear people say sometimes, and I don't mean to be rude when I disagree, but like I say, well, you know, we're Christians now. We have a divine nature. No, you don't. All right? I wake up in the morning, and this body is rotting. It is not the new body yet. I do not have a new nature. All right? I'm a partaker of the divine nature. The Holy Spirit lives inside of me. I am not different. I've been born again. Now I can interact with the Holy Spirit. Now I can interact with the Lord. I have access to everything, but in and of myself, nothing's different. Intrinsically, in my nature, nothing's different. Paul says in verse 19, for the good that I want to do, I don't do it. For the evil which I don't want, that's what I do. Now, if I'm doing that which I don't want to do, it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. There's another factor involved. And so he says, I find a law then. This is a rule. This is the law that he was talking about in Galatians. And he says, we don't have to be under. It's a rule that when I want to do good, evil is present with me. When I want to do good, I can set out and say, I want to obey the Lord. The problem is that's not enough. I don't have the right resources available to me. There's evil present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Listen, the enemy comes to you when you struggle and you're in the tug of war and the way he wants to keep you from winning that battle and experiencing freedom is he says to you, you just really don't love God enough. That's not the problem most of the time. I mean, yeah, for some of us, we need to just repent, right? But for many of us, you delight in the law of God. You want to obey him. You want to please him. The problem is you're trying to do it on your own. And so when he comes to you, guys, you just need to love God a bit more. Have you ever seen a tree doing this? Never. How does fruit happen? It happens when everything's connected to a healthy tree. We've got a healthy tree, guys. Jesus is healthy. The more we just stay connected to him, fruit can come about. Some of you are laughing a little too hard at that. Verse 23, but I see another law in my members, my body, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. What do I do? He says, oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus told the disciples in John 16, 7 that he needed to leave in order for the Holy Spirit to come and live through us. The solution to Paul's problem and to our problem isn't a how-to, it's a who-to. I'm not saying that it's bad to go, how do I do marriage better? Or, what does the Bible say about that? But if you try to approach, again, it's subtle. If you go, okay, I've read the book, I've got the information, I've got my list of what I need to do, I'm gonna go do it. Good luck. Good luck. I've been studying this thing for a whole life. I teach this thing, my whole adult life. I teach this thing for a living. You'd think I'd be better at this. But if I go out to do it in my own efforts, I'm going to be a bad husband, a bad dad, a bad pastor, a bad Christian, a bad neighbor. Even though I know a lot of how the how-to. It's a who-to. Look at Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after what? The Spirit. That's the who-to. Look at verse 5, Romans 8. For they that are after the flesh, they mind, do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Why? Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can it be. It's why we needed a Savior in the first place. You see, the crazy thing is we, we get saved and then we can get like the Galatians. We're like, oh, I need a Savior. I can't save myself. And we get saved. We're like, all right, I got to do this. 
What do you mean you got to do this? You needed a Savior to get saved. Okay, but yeah, I got this now. That makes no sense. No, you still need a Savior every day. I need to be rescued every day. And the Holy Spirit is that sanctifying salvation part of, of my benefit package in Christ. Verse 8, Romans 8, so then they that are in the flesh can't please God. They cannot. It's impossible. You're going to try to do it in your own strength, your own effort, your own ability, your own how-to? Good luck. You can't please the Lord that way. But here's the cool part. Here's the point. Why Paul says you don't have to be in the tug of war. But if you're, you're not in the flesh, if you're born again, you don't have to live that way. You're not in the flesh. You're in the Spirit. If so, be the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a believer. Believers have the Holy Spirit. The moment you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. And he says, all right, let's do this. I got this. Partner in with me. Yoke in with me. I got this. If we decided to go, no, I got this, you're not going to please the Lord. But you don't have to live that way. You have the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.10, and if Christ be in you, then the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. He breathes life into us. He brings supernatural life into us. He changes us. Guys, we are not different from Paul. We need the Holy Spirit's involvement in our life. I want to leave you with a, a ton of Scripture. But there are multiple biblical commands that involve the Holy Spirit. In other words, you can't, can't do it unless the Holy Spirit's involved. Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.16, we already read it, walk in the Spirit. Romans 8.13, it says, mortify the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit. That, that, that truth was life-changing for me. You know how many years I tried to kill wicked things in my life in the flesh unsuccessfully? Many frustrating years. Mortify the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit, Ephesians 4.20. Ephesians 6.17, take the sword of the Spirit. People forget that it's the sword of the Spirit. They're like, well, take your sword up. You know, I got my Bible verses. I'm all set. I'm ready to go. Devil, you can't have me. You know, and the devil swoops in, you know, and he tries to get you, and you're like, oh, Jesus wept. Uh, you know, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, you know, thou shalt not sin. You know, the, uh, you know cover your neighbors, whatever. And you're, you're just like somebody with a sword going. And the enemy's just like, it's the sword of the Spirit. He's the one who, as we're reading and as we're memorizing Scripture and we're growing, and you hide it in our hearts, and he's the one that brings it up, and, and the enemy attacks you, and he condemns you, and you say, listen, there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. That's not true. I'm not going to receive that idea. I'm going to take that thought captive. And When you're walking in the Spirit, you're taking up his sword. It's not just, I'm going to wield the Word of God. Well, again, good luck. You know, I've, I've had people tell me and say, I could do this better than you. And I'm like, probably could. But unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit, good luck. And I'm not saying that I am. I'm just, my point is, is that that's not what matters. Ephesians 6.18, we pray in the Spirit. You don't know how to pray. Maybe, maybe you've thought to yourself, like, I, I struggle praying. Like, like, there's nothing in me that desires to sit down and go through this prayer list. That's because you're sitting down to go through a prayer list. If you sit down and you go, Lord, I, wanna, I want to interact with you right now. Holy Spirit, I, wa- I want you to help me to pray right now. I don't want to do this in the flesh. I don't want to just go through the motions. It'll change your prayer life. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, don't quench the Spirit. 1 Peter 1.22, obey the truth through the Spirit. You need to, when you're reading your Bible, you need to be asking the Lord, saying, Holy Spirit, teach me. Guide me into all truth here. Guide me into all truth. I can't do this on my own. I won't be obedient if I try to do it on my own. The Holy Spirit's our helper. John 14, 26, Jesus said, He will reveal to you the things that I've taught you. Explain it. He'll bring it to your remembrance. The Holy Spirit helps us to understand our Bible. 
Romans 8.26 says that we don't know how to pray. The Holy Spirit helps us to know how to pray. Acts 1.80 says, you'll be endued with power from on high by my Spirit, and you'll be my witnesses. We can't share our faith without the power of the Holy Spirit, not effectively. In Acts 21.4, it mentions that the apostles were warned about to not go somewhere by the Holy Spirit through another person. He helps us to have discernment and wisdom in our decision-making. And of course, the verse we read at the end of our Scripture reading, 2 Corinthians 3.18, as we're looking at Jesus like in a mirror, we're going, that's what I want to look like. It's the Holy Spirit who changes us day by day to make us more like Christ. Like, doesn't that sound like something you want? Yeah. Do you see why we need the whole work of the Holy Spirit? You know, when I read Galatians 3.3, 3, I don't want to I don't want to be a, try to be a Christian in the flesh. Having begun in the Spirit, are you now going to be made perfect in the flesh? Well, we've had good Bible training, and we, we have good ministry training, and, and we've had good examples that have gone before us, and this is what's worked in the past. I don't want that to be the case. I don't want our, our church to attempt to do God's work in the flesh. So we must recognize our need for the Holy Spirit. Even if you've done so at some point in the past, you know, maybe in the past, like, I, I know this, I know this, okay, but is that a daily part of your life? Do you recognize that need? Or are you getting up and just going about your day? There's a reason the Bible tells us to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's because we leak. I got filled with the Holy Spirit like 12 years ago. That's why you're running on empty. It says, be being filled. We'll get into more of that in a, another teaching, but I guess my point is, whether you've pushed the Holy Spirit out of your life for other things or, or whether it's just been a while since you've maybe interacted with Him, is it time for a refill, time for a refresh? Is it time to kind of begin interacting with Him again and recognizing your need to depend upon Him? Let's all stand. Lord, you know every person here. You know where they're at with you. You know if maybe we're like the Ephesian Christian who... They didn't even know anything about the Holy Spirit, really, and Lord, you wanted to teach them and educate them and grow them. And then, Lord, you know if maybe we're like, more like the Galatians where we've, we've kind of pivoted at some point, where now we've been doing things in the flesh. Or maybe, Lord, there's some of us here who just say, I, I, need, <laughs> I know I need it and I want it more. Either way, Lord, you see every heart and you hear every the voice of every heart right now that's saying, this is what I want, Lord. So, Lord, I pray you'd hear every prayer and that you would meet every need. And, Lord, that as we recognize our dependence upon you, that you would fill us afresh. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.